Shall we give the Lord a clap offering, church? It is always a joy and a privilege to bring God's Word into your homes. Today, we are continuing our series in the book of Habakkuk. This is the third message. Today, we're going to be studying from chapter 2, verse 2 to verse 20. I'm titling this sermon, The Secret to Survival. The Secret to Surviving Dark and Difficult Days. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege that we have, that we can gather together and study your word. Father, we acknowledge that Holy Spirit is our teacher. Give us listening ears, Lord, and a heart that is willing to obey your word. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Listen to this letter a college student wrote to her parents. Dear mom and dad, I'm so sorry to be so long in writing you. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dormitory was set on fire by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say my eyesight should return sooner or later. The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm is rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised when I tell you we are going to be married. In fact, since you have always wanted a grandchild, you will be glad to know that you will be grandparents in several months. Signed, your loving daughter. Then she wrote a postscript. P.S. Please disregard the about practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant, and I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and F in chemistry. And I just wanted to be sure you received the news in proper perspective. How important it is for us to look at things from the proper perspective. See, you and I, we need to realize there are two groups of people. People who get overwhelmed, even for a paper cut. But at the same time, there are people who can be steady emotionally, even if the hand is chopped off. In other words, the severity of circumstance, there are people who are able to handle it. But then, even for a simple thing, there are people who crumble like a $2 suitcase. What makes the difference? The difference is how we see it. In the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk brings before the Lord two complaints. He says, Lord, how long will you stay silent? How long will you cause me to see iniquity in Judah? And then the Lord replied to him. And the reply that the Lord gave him puzzled him. We saw it in our first sermon, the mysterious ways of God and the misunderstood work of God. As a result, he has a second complaint before the Lord. Why would you raise the Chaldeans to discipline righteous Judah? Why would you allow the wicked to punish the righteous? Now, today in our text, we're going to study the reply of the Lord. See, Habakkuk took this posture to go and wait before the Lord in chapter 2 and verse 1. He waited before the Lord for a reply. And here in verse 2 all the way to verse 20, God's, God gives him a divine revelation. And in this divine revelation, God addresses the key issues of Habakkuk's complaint. Will we survive? And God says, the righteous shall live by faith. 
What would you do with the wicked? God says, I'll deal with the wicked for their wickedness. I want us to look at chapter 2 and verse 4. Chapter 2 and verse 4 is the key verse in the whole of the book of Habakkuk. This is what it says, Behold. See, the word behold means to see. It is to be able to see from God's perspective. And here in verse 4, he says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. His soul referring to the wicked, the Babylonians here. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. I want you to listen to me carefully. The key question that you and I, we need to ask is, how can we survive dark and difficult days? And here the Bible says that God was giving Habakkuk a divine perspective. See, sometimes we need to see from God's perspective. A prophet is a seer. There's another word for prophet, is a seer. In other words, he sees. He sees from God's perspective. So God was causing Habakkuk to see from his perspective. There are two things in particular. One, God was giving him a larger view of perspective. And secondly, a longer view of period. Let me look at it one by one. Larger view of perspective. In other words, he was moving him from a micro view to a macro view. See, many times in life, we look at things, what is happening in our life individually. Maybe we are concerned about what is happening to our family, but sometimes we don't take into account what God is doing in the city or even in the nation or globally among the nations. So what God does is he lifts us from a small view to a larger view, a larger view of perspective. See, in the prophet Isaiah, the Bible says in chapter 6 and verse 5, prophet Isaiah cried out before God and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among unclean people. But then by the end of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 60, he says, let the nations rise up. I want you to listen to me. He was only seeing his own life in the beginning, but then God trained him, tutored him, and shaped him to see the larger view of perspective. That's what Habakkuk needs. That's what you and I need when we go through dark and difficult days. The second thing God does is he gives you a longer view of period, longer view of time. So we move from our own timetable. Why things are not happening? Things should have happened by yesterday. And God says, no, I'm working out my purposes. And according to my time, according to my timetable, things will take place. So I want you to listen to me carefully. The key question that we want to consider in this sermon is this. How do we survive dark and difficult days? What does it take? So from chapter 2, verse 2, all the way to verse 20, I look at four truths that we must hold on to. This is from the divine revelation that God gave Habakkuk. And I want us to glean four truths that we must hold on to in order to survive dark and difficult days. The first one is the reliability of God's word. In verse 2, he says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. I love that phrase, so he may run who reads it. Here, God specifically addresses Habakkuk and he says, Write down the vision, write down the prophecy, this prophetic vision. 
See, what you're reading today in the book of Habakkuk is the writings of Habakkuk. That's the vision he received. And the Bible says that vision, whoever reads it will run with it. So he may run who reads it. It can also be read as whoever is reading it will run with it. In other words, God actually expects that people not only receive the divine revelation, but they obey the divine revelation. So God says, you and I, when we are going through dark and difficult times, we got to rely upon the word of God. We got to come back to recognizing that God's word is reliable. It is true. And God's vision will come to pass. See, the Bible says in verse 3, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I want you to recognize this, that God's word will come to pass. Even if it delays, even if it seems slow, it will surely come to pass. It will not lie. It has an appointed time. See, in the, in the book of Genesis, God spoke to a man by the name of Noah and says, I had it with the world. I'm going to judge the people in the land. And you know, I'm going to send floods. And then he, he established a 120-year timeline. And in that 120-year timeline, he gave Noah the grace to build an ark to save his own family. Now, towards the end of that 120 years, God speaks to Noah again and says, in seven days, the floods will come. Now, from 120 years, suddenly it became seven days. Now, Noah is hurriedly buying all the groceries and stacking it up in the ark, and he's moving in so that he can be rescued. There is an acceleration as you enter into a prophetic timeline. I want you to listen to me carefully. In the time of Exodus, the Bible says God spoke to Abraham in Genesis and says, 400 years, your children will be aliens, foreigners in another land. They will be oppressed. After 400 years, the Bible says God sends Moses as a deliverer and Moses performs mighty signs and wonders in Pharaoh's court for a few months. Then on one night, God says, tonight is the night the deliverance is going to take place. It was the night of Passover. From slavery to freedom, they were set free overnight. But I want you to see this. God's appointed timeline is like this. For 400 years, they were in slavery. Few months, Moses was ministering in Pharaoh's court, asking him to let go of God's people. But then suddenly when God began to act on that very same day that he had appointed, things overturned and they were set free. I want you to listen to me carefully. God's appointment for you will come. That's why do not be depressed when you're going through dark and difficult days. Do not look at the circumstances and, and lose hope. Rather, you rely upon the word of God. So the application principle I want to give you is this. Hold on to the word of God and hold on to it and obey it. Run it, run with it, read it and run with it. In other words, no matter how the days are dark, you still keep running with it. Story was told of a Bible translator who was translating the Bible in a native language. And when it came to the word obedience, he had no words in the native language. 
So he was asking the Lord, Lord, how would I describe the word obedience? And one day he was coming back to his house. And while he was coming back, his dog ran from his house to meet him and then followed and walked back with him. The local native was watching this whole thing and he said to the translator, your dog is all years to you. He didn't understand, so he asked the native, what does that mean? He said, see, your dog pricked up. It's all years to you. The moment he heard your footsteps, the moment he heard your voice, he ran towards you and he followed you. So he, the dog is all years to you. Right there, the Bible translator recognized, that's the word I want to use for obedience. Obedience is all years, tuned to receive from God, tuned to hear God. And the moment you hear God, you run and obey Him. Hallelujah. That's the picture Habakkuk says that you and I, we need to have. In during dark and difficult days, we need to tune in to hear God. At the same time, hold on to His word and obey it. Praise God. The second thing we must hold on to is the resource for God's saints. Look at verse 4 again. Verse 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. I love that phrase. See, the reason why God is saying here, the righteous shall live by his faith, is because of this one thing that Habakkuk presented before the Lord. You know, in chapter 1, in verse 12, when Habakkuk was bringing the second complaint, he actually said, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? In other words, he called God an everlasting God, a covenant-keeping God, and a creator God with whom all things are possible. And then he makes a declaration of faith, a statement of faith. He says, we shall not die. That statement could also be a question. In, in other words, I'm saying this, but yet I'm hesitant to say this. I do believe it, but I'm not sure how much I believe it. So he says, we shall not die, right? And here God is bringing an answer to him. You ask, will we survive this oppression? Will we survive this Babylonian captivity? And God says to Habakkuk, you will survive. How? The righteous shall live by his faith. Hallelujah. See the book of Habakkuk. In chapter 1 and verse 4, he already established that the law is paralyzed. In other words, the people are not following the law of God. They're not keeping the law. They're not doing the works of the law. So justice is perverted. But here, God says to uh, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous in the olden days, in the old covenant, they don't live by faith. They live by the works of the law. They are only declared righteous because of the works of the law. But here, Habakkuk gets an insight into the new covenant. He gets a foretaste of what the new covenant is. And this is what it is. The righteous shall not live by their law keeping or by their good moral behavior, but the righteous shall live by his faith. It is a statement that was taken from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. When God was speaking to Abraham about his future, God says to Abraham, your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And God says, this is how I will bless you. And Abraham says, Lord, I believe it. 
And the Bible says it was accounted to him for righteousness. Hallelujah. That same phrase is paraphrased here. The righteous shall live by faith. Hallelujah. You are not saved because of your law keeping. You are saved because of your faith in God, your confident trust in God. Hallelujah. And I love this phrase, by his faith. You know, I define faith like this. Faith is the confident trust in God's word, regardless of circumstances and consequences that results in our obedience to God. Despite what you're going through, no matter what the consequences are, no matter what the circumstances are, you are declaring before the Lord, I have confident trust in your word. I will hold on to it. And that results in our obedience to God. See, the New Testament authors love this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. And there are three times they use it in the New Testament, twice by Paul and the third time by the writer to Hebrews. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. He says in verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, gospel is, it is the power of salvation. It is the power of salvation to everyone who does the law. No, to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In other words, it begins with faith, it ends with faith. And in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteous shall live by faith. I want you to listen to me. The only reason why you and I can be saved is because Jesus took our place. He died for our sins. He paid the penalty with his own life. And because we believe in the work of Jesus, Today, we are positionally declared righteous before God. As a result, we are saved. We are saved by faith. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul uses it the second time. And he says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for righteous shall live by faith. In other words, in your daily life, You cannot be righteous before God. You cannot be justified before God because of your moral good behavior. It is not because of your law keeping that you are blessed in life. You are only blessed in life because of faith. It is by faith that you and I walk in the blessing that God gave Abraham. Because if you follow the law, if you fail in one, you fail in all. And law only brings curse, the Bible says in Galatians. But Christ redeemed us from the curse so that we can walk in the blessing that God promised Abraham. Hallelujah. So we are blessed by faith. Thirdly, the writer to the Hebrews says this. Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He begins by talking about endurance. Why is he speaking about endurance? See, the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people. And he says the Jews trust in the Mosaic law, the Aaronic priesthood, and the sacrificial system that God instituted through Moses. The Jews believe 
in these things. They do these things. They trust themselves in these things. But the writer to the Hebrews says, now we have a new covenant with Christ as our chief high priest under the order of Melchizedek with a one sacrifice for all time, for all sin. So now you no longer need to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, but you now trust in the sacrifice of God's son once and for all, and you will be saved. Now, those who believed in Jesus, they were persecuted during the time of Hebrews. So the writer to Hebrews tell the persecuted church that you should endure. You have need of endurance so that once you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. But there are some who can't take the testing, the trials, the tears. There are some who can't take the tribulation, the persecution. So what do they do? They leave Christianity and they go back to Judaistic way of life, trusting in the sacrificial system of Moses and the Aaronic priesthood. And for them, the Lord says this in verse 37, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I want you to listen to me carefully. We are not the ones who shrink back. We are the ones who believe in Jesus. We're the ones who endure the persecution. Why? Because we are people of faith. We endure by faith. That's why chapter 11 is a hall of fame for faith, isn't it? It's a hall of fame of faith chapter. But this faith chapter, he gives you the examples of people who endured persecution, people who endured dark and difficult days, people who had to make the choice between following God and following the world, denying the world and following God. And that they did gladly. Why? Because they saw the eternal promise of God. That's why in chapter 11 and verse 6, he goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, but must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And what is faith? Faith is verse 1. Verse 1, he says, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So he says, I believe that God has a promise for me. I believe God's promises will come to pass in my life. The vision is for an appointed time. So in the meantime, I will just endure by faith. He gives you examples in chapter 11. Then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he gives an example of Jesus. In chapter 12 and verse 2, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And look at verse 3. He says, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What is he saying? He says that you and I need to endure. Look at the example of Jesus. Look at the examples from the Old Testament. They all endured persecution trials, testings, and tribulations. And therefore, they endured it by faith. So what was God saying to Habakkuk? Habakkuk, I want to give you the secret to surviving dark and difficult days. This is how you do it. Hold on to the promises of God. 
believe it. And then he declares, the righteous shall live by faith. See, you and I, we need to recognize that our God is a good God. Even when he allows certain difficult things in our lives, it is not to destroy us, but to develop us. I want you to recognize this. See, Habakkuk doesn't know what it would be like when the Babylonians come and take the Judah into captivity. He can only imagine he hasn't lived through it. But now he's prophetically seeing what it would be like. And he's saying, Lord, how will we be? And God says, by faith, you'll be fine. See, you and I, we need to hold on to the promises of God. During the time of Habakkuk, there was another prophet, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah prophesied about the captivity of Judah in Babylon during that same period. And this is what God says to the people of Judah through Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verses 4 to 6. And I want to read this in the New King James Version because there's a particular phrasing. I want you to listen to me carefully. Look at this. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out. It is God who says, I have sent them out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. I want you to catch that phrase, church. It is for their good I'm sending them out of this place to the land of Chaldeans. Verse 6, for I will set my eyes on them for good and I'll bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I want you to listen to me carefully. No matter how dark the days are, you have to trust in the promises of God. You got to trust in the goodness of God, that our God is a good God and he will only do good in your life. Here he says, for their good, I will do this. And I'm setting my eyes on them for good. I'm watching over them that they will be built up. Hallelujah. The third thing, we need to hold on to is the reality of God's wrath. See the question that Habakkuk brought before God. Will you deal with the wicked? Will you judge the wicked for their wickedness? And God says, yes, I will. So from verse five, all the way to verse 19, God brings a picture, a prophetic picture of how he will deal with the Babylonians for their wickedness. Five times in this text, you will read this one word, woe, W-O-E. Now, woe is not a great word. It's a word that represents curse. It's the opposite of blessedness. So please never use that word woe. Wow is fine, but woe is, W-O-E is a curse. Five times representing five key sins that the Babylonians did. Look at this. The first sin that God condemns is the word ambition. Their ruthless plunderings. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. And look at verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations. See, what the Babylonians did is they plundered the nations. They gathered wealth for themselves because of their ambition. They wanted to hog glory. They wanted to go after every nation. Doesn't matter whether they are a large nation or a small nation like Judah. They wanted to crush them and plunder those nations. 
And God says, I'll deal with them for their ambition and for their ruthless plunderings. The second thing he says is this greed with the dishonest gains. Look at this in verse nine. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. I want you to circle that evil gain for his house. In other words, this is the person who through dishonest means accumulates wealth. He cheats here, he cheats there, he accumulates, uh, he, he is not honest in his dealings. And the Bible says, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house because of his greed. The third thing is cruelty, human oppression. Look at verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. God was saying, I will deal with the bloodshed. You built your city on the blood of people. In other words, they were slave laborers. Those people that he took on as captives, they were slaving away, building the, the massive buildings in Babylon. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had hanging gardens and beautiful palaces. They were all built on the backs of slaves. And here God says, you built a town with blood and found a city on iniquity, and I'm going to judge it. It is human oppression. It's the cruelty that you do to another human being. The next thing that God deals with is debauchery the inhumane deeds done to another human being. Look at this in verse 15. He says, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. This is how the Babylonians treated their captives. Babylonians are known for their drunkenness. They are drunkards. They will cause the captives to drink. And, and when they are drunk, they will cause them to walk around naked and as a result, there will be sexual acts that will be performed. And God says, for this, I will judge you. And lastly, futile idolatry. In verse 19, he says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. Look at verse 18. He says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. He says, you trust in idolatry. You bow down to idols. As a result, I'm going to judge you for your idolatry. Now, these are the five times when the word woe appears. And these are the five things that God says, I'm going to judge them for. But I want to bring it to an irreducible minimum in application for us. There are two sins I see in particular that I believe applies to you and me. It starts in verse 5. And the second one is in verse 18. In verse 5, it says that the Babylonians are arrogant men. They are proud men. And in verse 4, it says that they are not upright. They are proud and puffed up. See, this is the thing that God abhors. It is the pride in human heart. And this pride leads them to be self-sufficient. They are rebellious against God. They don't want to submit to God. They don't want to take God's word. They don't want to follow it. As a result, what God does is he judges them. Do you suffer from pride? Pride is one sin that you and I are sometimes oblivious to it. What is the sign of pride? Pride means that I don't need God. The throne of my heart belongs to me. At the same time, it is also self-glorification. Look at it in verse 16. It talks about them seeking glory 
clothing themselves with glory and honor. In other words, what is rightfully belongs to God, they hog the glory. And this is something that God hates. The second thing is in verse 18. What profit do you have in worshiping an idol? Now, you and I, we may say, I don't worship any idols. But if you carefully examine, there are idols in our heart. Sometimes our family can be an idol. Our marriage can be an idol. Our children's careers and their future could be an idol. Our net worth could be an idol. All the places where we live can be an idol. The places where we work can be an idol. Sometimes we place unnecessary importance and worship to all these things that should be attributed only to God. And the Lord says, those idols, those idol worship, I will judge. So can I humbly bring this to an applicational principle for you and me? We need to hold on to the ways of God. We need to walk in it. See, you need to know that God will judge sin. Sin will not go unpunished. God will deal with sin thoroughly one day. So today is the day for repentance. Today is the day for you to turn around and walk in the ways of God. So walk in holiness, walk in separation, walk in countercultural way of life. Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 7 to verse 9, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that is what he will reap. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, you and I, we need to recognize that you are sowing. Even in the dark and difficult days, you are sowing. But don't sow in your flesh. Because the Bible says if you sow in your flesh, and the works of the flesh are sinful things, lustful things, and the Bible says you will reap corruption. In other words, the judgment of God will come. But if you sow in the Spirit, the Bible says you will reap eternal life. So how do you handle dark and difficult days? Keep sowing the good seeds. Verse 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And God says to you and I, don't give up. Sow the seeds, stay faithful, even in the midst of dark and difficult days. The fourth truth that we must hold on to, the reign of God's Son. You know, from verse 5 to verse 19, we saw how God is going to judge the Babylonians the wickedness. But at the same time, in verse 14, God gives a ray of hope. He declares something prophetic. And towards the end of the prophecy in verse 20, he again gives another hope. And I want you to read verse 20 with me. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In the midst of all that is going on, God says, I want you to see that the Lord is in the holy temple and let all the earth remain silent before him. See, this is where God wants you to catch the picture of the sovereignty of God. Habakkuk is wondering, Lord, why would you raise the Chaldeans to crush Judah? What would you do to the Chaldeans? Will we even survive? And God says, you will survive. The righteous will live by faith. The Chaldeans will be destroyed for their wickedness. And God was showing to him that I'm sovereign over everything. See, the seat of power is not in Washington. It's not in Canberra. 
It's not in any earthly city. It's not with the UN. The seat of power is with God. He's the one who holds the destiny of nations. He's the one who raises one and he's the one who demotes the other. I want you to listen to me carefully. Your God is a sovereign God. You know, in the, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah had a vision. Isaiah was weeping for the lost king, the king who died. He loved the king and the king died. And Isaiah goes into the temple of God and suddenly his eyes open. In verse one, he declares, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What was he saying? He was saying this, the earthly king is dead, but the heavenly king is still alive. He's still on the throne. The throne here on earth is empty, but the throne in heaven is occupied. In other words, God is on his throne. And the moment you recognize the sovereignty of God, that God is bringing about his purposes through the evil of men, through the evil plans of men, God is accomplishing his divine plan. That's why I want you to hold on to this truth. History is his story. What you, what you see unfold in history is a story. And history is under divine control. See, God doesn't create evil, but he controls evil to bring about his purposes. And history is certainly under divine control because history follows a divine plan. God has a plan right from the book of Genesis all the way to the book, the end of the book in Revelation. God is working out his divine plan on planet Earth. And thirdly, history is tied to his divine kingdom. What is God doing? God is bringing his kingdom to this world. And I want you to listen to me. One day, this kingdom of this world will be declared as the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Look at it in verse 14. That's the second ray of hope from this passage. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. See, this is a prophetic vision, but this did not take place during the time of Habakkuk. This hasn't even been fulfilled during your lifetime and my lifetime. This will only be fulfilled when Jesus returns back to the earth, has a thousand year rule. And after that, he establishes God's kingdom by establishing new heaven and new earth. And in that new earth, the Bible says, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. So I want you to listen to me carefully. This has a prophetic timetable that is beyond Habakkuk's lifetime. That is even beyond what we are going through today. But I want you to listen to me. The reason why God was saying these things is because when you're going through dark and difficult days, you need to hold on to the hope of Jesus' return. You need to believe that Jesus is coming again soon. 2,000 years have passed since Jesus ascended into heaven. But the Bible says he's coming again anytime. And the only reason why he hasn't come, come back yet is because he wants the church to prepare for it. He wants the church to proclaim the good news to people so that they will be saved. They will be added into the kingdom of God. That's why you and I have an opportunity right now to proclaim the gospel. We prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord and we proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and call people to repentance and call people to come back to Christ because Jesus is coming back for you and me. And that should give us hope. 
as people of God. Hallelujah. In closing, let me say this. There are two ways you and I can live. One is the way of wickedness. The second way is the way of the righteous. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, we see this beautifully displayed. He says, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That's the way of the wicked. And the wicked is always contrasted in this, uh, in this book with the righteous. In chapter 1 and verse 4, and in chapter 1 and verse 13, it is always contrasted with the wicked. The wicked and the righteous are contrasted. And here the Bible says, there's the way of the wicked. They are proud and they are puffed up. They are not upright within themselves. But then there's a way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is they live by faith. That means they believe in a God who created them. They believe in a God who sent his son, Jesus, to redeem them. And today they live in him. They live for him. They live with him. Hallelujah. This is the gospel, and I want you to listen to it. God created you and I with the one purpose of knowing Him and living with Him. But mankind rebelled against God and chose wickedness. They were, they were proud. They walked away from God. And as a result, sin has plagued mankind. But God did not leave man in his sin. But God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come into the world, to live the life that we could never live, but then die the death that we deserved. And the Bible says, Christ Jesus took our place. He's a man with no sin, but he took our sin upon himself, and he died the death that we deserved. And the Word of God says, when he died, you and I can be forgiven of our sins because he paid the penalty for our sins with his own life, with his own blood. As a result, God can now be just to forgive us. And today we can be cleansed of our sins. Today we can place our faith in him and receive that salvation that comes by faith. And today he's calling you to come and live in obedience to Jesus. Live in, in, by faith in Jesus. Every single day you and I, we are blessed because of Jesus not because of our good behavior. We are blessed because of Jesus. And that's the gospel. And one day he will come for us. He will come back for us. He will bring us into the eternal kingdom. And the word of God says, we are his children right now with only one agenda, to know him, to love him, to obey him, to live for him and to proclaim the good news about him to others. So can I humbly say this church, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, today is a day for salvation for you. Place your faith in Jesus. Are you going through dark and difficult days? I will end this sermon with two questions. One, how can I be saved? How can I receive salvation in my life? The only way you can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. How shall I live then? If you ask this question, I'm going through dark and difficult season in my life. So how shall I live? The answer to that is live by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why in closing, let me say this, hold on to the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ lived the life that I could never live. And he died the death that I deserved. 
and he, when he died, my sins are forgiven. And today I can have a future with God. I can have a relationship with him, not only a relationship with him in the earthly lifetime, but a relationship where I will live with him for eternity. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 11 and verse 25. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is the truth I want you to hold on to. Jesus Christ and live by his faith. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, mighty God. I want to take a moment, church. I want you to go before the Lord and process what you have just heard. Maybe you are someone who is going through a painful season right now. In this painful season, there is no hope. There is hopelessness and despair all around you. But yet the word of God comes to you today that you hold on to the word of God because it is true, it is reliable. The vision that God has given you, it is for an appointed time. The word of God will come to pass. The promises of God are yes, and you say amen. So hold fast to the promises of God. Hallelujah. And you believe it. Today, choose a life of faithfulness to God. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. It can also be said the righteous shall live by their faithfulness. In other words, you hold on to God. And I'm going to pray with you that the Lord will minister deeply in your heart today. That no matter what you're going through right now, that He will infuse your heart and your mind with hope. The blessed assurance, the confident expectation and a trust upon and, and a dependence upon God. The righteous shall live by faith. Hallelujah. So in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you remove the cloud of darkness. You give them the grace to believe, to rest in you, to trust in you, to depend upon you, and to know that you are in charge. You are in control. You're fulfilling your plan and your purpose in their life. That in their darkest hour, you're doing a deepest work in their life. And Father, today I declare your promise over them that you will never leave them nor forsake them. That Lord, that whatever you're doing, it is for their good. And you will keep your eyes on them for good and you will build them up and you will bring them back. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray for your grace to come upon your people. May we have the grace to believe for salvation. May we have grace to endure the persecution. I pray in the name of Jesus for your goodness and your grace for your people. I bless them in the name of Jesus. We give you all the glory, praise and honor in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen and amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you shalom. Go in his peace, church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. Take care.